Thank you for watching our live podcast. This is our first live podcast, so we're super excited about it. My name is Stephen Smith. I am the owner of 3 Pi Squared, and this is April Smith, my wife. Hi. Yeah, Stephen and I owned an ABA private practice together for almost 11 years, and I'm actually um, working on... Um, closing that at this time and as I'm transitioning I am now starting to work with Stephen to help him. All right and so now we're going to get into it. So before we get into rate negotiation best practices um, how we can uh, give you this content is well we have uh, clients and customers that purchase our products. So uh, this is our most popular product right now. It is our ABA business leaders membership so the benefits of membership, we, 3Pi Squared, myself and my wife have helped over 700 ABA practices all over the country start up and expand. And our membership has over 45 hours of content from experts in the fields of law, accounting, diversity and inclusion, childhood development, mindfulness, business development, HIPAA compliance, marketing, billing and a lot more it also comes with discounts so you'll get discounts on our products we also have a discount on professional liability insurance we have a discount a rather large discount on background checks it's about 30 percent off we also have discounts on hipaa compliant email contacts calendars cloud storage and then we also have discounts on apps like Motivia, IntakeQ, ABA Desk, Bamboo HR, and more. For all of you BCBAs out there, it also includes 33 CEs. That includes ethics, supervision, and general. So it's enough for your two-year uh, re-up renewal. We also have live events. So we have two to three live events every month where people can come on and ask any questions if they're having any issues uh, or any barriers as they start up and expand. In our app, you can also post anonymous questions and get answers. So there are a lot of great things about our membership. And now, after my blatant advertisement, <laughs> we're gonna start rate negotiation best practices. So I hear this quite often before we get into this, like there, I know that there's a lot of pessimism about rate negotiation. It is even, even when you have the best practices and you have our rate negotiation guide, which again, another sale here is in our ABA business leaders uh, membership. So we have our rate negotiation guide, how to, plus we have our template that you would send to your funder. But even with this information in hand, it is still difficult. So I'm not saying that this is an easy, easy thing to do. It is difficult, it's gonna take time, but I promise you it is worthwhile doing it. And we'll get into the reasons why you really need to start considering this at least. If you do have questions, try to limit them um, from specific funders and please don't post. Uh, your your actual contracted rates, that's not something that we're, we're able to share and we really shouldn't be shared. There's antitrust laws, uh, so we will have to remove those posts if we see them. So try to keep it generic and we'll try to answer those questions as they come up. 
One thing we see across the board that would help the community uh, as a whole is always submitting your standard rates. So this is something that I did not do for years when I was uh, doing the billing for uh, Corner Piece, my wife's company. I just submitted the contracted rates. I didn't know any better. I didn't think it was a big deal. Uh, I knew what we were going to get, so it made sense that I would just put that contracted rate on our claims. But you do not want to do that. So if we were all submitting our standard rate, and you really do need a standard rates, then what happens is that the funders will look at the area and will make a determination on, like, it doesn't happen very often if they need to increase rates. But if everyone is submitting their contracted rate, they will look at that and say, oh, look at that. We're meeting at what everyone needs in this area. Let's reduce our rates. So at minimum, this would help us uh, prevent some of that, some of that rate reduction if we're all submitting our standard rates. And then, you know, I get this question often because again, it is difficult. This is not an easy process, but why in the world do I need to do this? I have like a list of a thousand things that seem way more important on this. And so why would I spend any time on this? Well, we're gonna get into that by showing you our ABA business leaders members budget. So we're gonna go into that next. So what you're seeing right now is our budget calculator for ABA companies. And we're gonna go through this quickly. This is our dashboard and uh, we're gonna go into these rates really quickly, but um, we'll get into insurance rates and adjusting them and things like that um, later. But the, the only thing I wanna show you in this budget right now is what happens when you're just barely making any profit. So right now, you know, we're making 2,600 a month in profit. So, you know, our expenses, which the vast majority are going to be payroll related, are taking up quite a bit of our revenue here. Uh, but if you go into payroll, so, you know, as you keep your employees, they're going to want raises, right? And, and really, we want to keep our employees, especially our RBTs, as long as possible. The turnover rate is horrible in this field. And so we want to keep our employees happy. Part of that is giving at minimum cost of living raises. So we're gonna go into the payroll calculator and right now um, we have this um, average billable hourly rate is set at 24. So, you know, if our average billable hourly rate goes up to 26, let's say, and then maybe we even do an increase on non-billables to 17 or something like that. And now we go back to our dashboard, All right. So this is another view of our rate negotiation calculator, and we'll go into this one. So these are monthly income and expenses. And if you go into the um, payroll calculator, so we are going to increase our tech rates uh, to $27 an hour. And then, like I said, maybe their non-billable rate will bring it up to 17. And so, what once was a two thousand uh, dollar profit is now twenty or two hundred and twenty three dollars. So you know maybe we need to go in and change our BCBA rate, right? Maybe we're increasing the rate of our BCBA and some non billable hourly rate increases, 
and then you know now we're in the red so what we see happen very often with companies that are just you know their profit margin is really tight um, is that uh, they have to uh, grow to increase the revenue and and to to uh, still have some profit. So for this reason, right, the longer you keep your employees, um, the the more uh, um, they're gonna want at, for an hourly rate, which is obvious, right? And, and that's great. We want to pay them more. They've been with us for years, and and that's what we want. But the problem is is that when this happens, right, which is a good thing you end up losing your profitability. So this is what we have to avoid, right? And so we don't wanna grow out of control. This is not a good idea. We wanna be able to maintain and sustain maybe a small company. Maybe you only wanna have a couple of BCBAs um, and, and you don't want to grow any further, right? How do we keep a small company or expand only when we want to um, and and keep our profitability up. So really the only way that we can do this is we have to find some other method of income or we rate negotiate. So that's why we need to do it. We, we wanna maintain at least our level of profitability in our company. Rate negotiation. So if you can use your local support networks, this can also help. Again, as a group, we can use our local ABA associations, um, and, and we have seen in other industries like um, dentists where they've used their local supports um, and pushed the funders to uh, increase rates. And we've also seen it in ABA. I, I believe it was in uh, Illinois uh, where uh, the local ABA agent uh, uh, associations prevented a, a large decrease in rates. So, you know, we want to get a hold of our local ABA associations and see if we can make this a priority, right? So we need to be pushing for this because again, I know that this is difficult, but it has to change. Like if you have the same rates and you've had the same rates for five, six, seven years, like we're, we're, you know, we need, we need a change, right? We need to be able to increase our rates. So a little bit about me, uh, when, when I was, you know, the director of operations with corner piece, we were a super small company when I started rate negotiations. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we had maybe 15 employees at the time, somewhere around there. Um, so probably would have been in 2016, maybe when I started rate negotiation, when I realized that this was an actual, this is an actual thing that you could do. Uh, because when we started with funders, I didn't know, right? Like this was, I, I'm not an insurance person. I learned how to bill myself, which was a horrible experience. And, and then I learned after the fact that you can actually negotiate rates. So, you know, uh, we, we were a small company, um, and, and I successfully, rate negotiated my first time ever, right? This is brand new to me. I did it with Cigna, I did it with Blue Cross Blue Shield, did it with Optum, Kaiser, and Aetna. So you're not probably, like I don't believe that I've ever heard of anybody rate negotiating with TRICARE. So I, I think that that's probably not gonna happen. I don't think it's possible. Maybe if you're a large provider, but like you would have to have thousands of employees, I assume, but I've never heard of anybody rate negotiating with uh, TRICARE. Um, and then, you know, with some MCOs, you can rate negotiate with Medicaid or Medicare. 
Uh, but again, that's going to be difficult uh, to do. So that's a managed care um, a provider. So it's it's basically a private funder has taken over Medicaid for that state. Um, and, and so there is some possibility of doing that. But again, you know, um, you're probably not going to move forward with those two if you've got 10, 15 employees. So we have to go after our private funders if we can. And then I'm going to, you know, every funder and every state is different, right? Um, So like you're going to have different network reps, you're going to have different rates, you know, and you're going to have different rates if you're in, you know, uh, the suburbs or if you're in uh, a metro area versus a rural area, you're just going to have different rates. So, you know, we're going to have to do this um, state by state. Every state's going to be different. And then, you know, some, some of these private funders go by state. Some of them have larger networks. So there may be like a Southwest region and a Northeast region and, uh, you know, a a North. um, uh, So there may be various networks or regions within the funder. So it it can depend on that region as well. Now, you know, this is another topic for debate, but I highly recommend, you know, if you're going to go with a biller to do your credentialing, that's fine, you know, and and there are lots of really good billers that can help with credentialing, but I do recommend doing your own credentialing. And the biggest reason for that is because you need to know who your network rep is. It is critical that you know who your network rep is. So, you know, not just for rate negotiation, but as, you know, policies and standards change, right? If there are session note um, and note changes, if there are billing changes, maybe they're changing what can be concurrently built. Maybe there's a change to your provider manual. Having your network rep is going to help you with these. If you have any questions about your contract or issues that you have um, with your network, you want to know your network rep. And what I see happen when I, I've talked to a lot of people that have used outside credentialing is that they don't get their network rep. In some cases, I've seen people not get their contract uh, or their rates. So it's really important. If you do decide to go with a biller, totally fine. But I would highly recommend that you ask them, will I be involved in every step of the credentialing? Right? It shouldn't be a secret. Um, and so you should be CC'd and you should know who your network rep is at the end of this process. So it's critical that you know your network rep. And so that's why I highly recommend just doing your own credentialing um, and then have a standardized process. So as you grow, you bring in BCBAs, it's, you know, you have a task analysis on this and, and you just follow those steps. And so what we did uh, with our company is as soon as we uh, had a signed offer letter, we would just send them over the paperwork that they needed to fill out, make sure their CAQH was updated, and then just start the credentialing process uh, to get them in the group. So uh, it, it's not really that difficult after you've done it once or twice. It's pretty easy process. So, and then the last thing, and some of you are probably beyond this point, but best practices here, if you haven't signed the contract yet, if you're just starting out, this is a really good opportunity to find out where, uh, what the process is for rate negotiation, how often you can do rate negotiation, because every private funder does this a little differently. Some will actually rate negotiate every six months. 
Some will um, rate negotiate every year. Some do it every three years. Uh, and, and then how you submit this. Do you mail it? Do you email it? Do you fax it? Do they have their own template? Everyone does this differently. So this is a really good opportunity, right, to say, okay, I got the contracted rates. I'm going to live with these rates. Um, but I do need to know when I can rate negotiate and how that process works. Because I will tell you, because this has uh, been my experiences, even if you know the process, and then when that time comes up and it's like, okay, it's time to rate negotiate, uh, they're, they're kind of like, what are you talking about? We don't rate negotiate. Who told you this? And it's like, well, I can forward you the email that you sent me eight months ago um, because this, this is what you told me to do. Uh, so again, this is going to be a difficult process, um, but knowing their process, knowing that they have a process is really important uh, as you go through this. And it, it will make a terrible uh, and difficult process a little bit easier. So we want to compare um, public rates versus our contracted rates. Um, so this is where we're going to get into, okay, you know, I hear this, this thing often as well is what is a good rate? So I've got my contract, Stephen, but I don't know what a good rate is versus a bad rate. So how do I, how do I know that I should accept this contract? So we're gonna go into that right now and look at um, how how to rate negotiate with a budget with, with that calculator. So we're gonna be using, as we do the comparing, we're gonna be using publicly posted TRICARE rates as our starting point. Um, and, and so you can, you can totally use this, uh, but you cannot share. So let's say you have three contracts, maybe you've got Optum, uh, Kaiser and and Magellan, for example, you can't um, you can't take Kaiser's rights and share them with Magellan and say, look, Magellan gave me or sorry, uh, try, uh, Kaiser gave me way better rates than you. Uh, you're going to have to do something about this. They will not accept that. So we have to use publicly posted rates. Uh, so this is TRICARE and this is Medicaid uh, that we can use uh, as we're sharing this information with our funders. So using TRICARE rates is a great place to start um, and to see um, if these rates are good or not. And then it also, like I said, will help with uh, the budgeting and the reimbursement rates. So with this, we used TRICARE rates, uh, just some random rates. And so, uh, you know, pro protocol modification, we're doing this by hour, so it's not by unit when you put this in our budget calculator. So it's 125, 125, and then direct service rate was 57, and then our assessment rate and ongoing were also 125. So, you know, if you get a rate, you know, like we, we already said, we're in the red, right? Just by giving raises. So if we now get a private funder and maybe, uh, and again, I'm not giving any rates out here, I'm putting in random numbers, right? And so these may be close, they may not be, just depends on your area, but let's say protocol modifications only $80, right? And let's say family, tr uh, family treatment is only 95. Um, and then maybe your direct service rate, I, I don't know, it's like 54. Um, and then we'll keep these the same. Right. So now when we come over here, now now we're losing a ton of money. So 
just to you just to keep in network with this funder we're losing four thousand uh, dollars a month so you add this over a year we're getting close to fifty thousand dollars of loss i know i can't do that right um so this is what we do and this is what we recommend is that you take a screenshot of our budget with their rates in it you take a screenshot of whatever's better medicaid or tricare rates in your area and say look this is what tricare this is what medicaid offers we have to do we have to do better than this right and so this can be a very compelling tool to these funders uh because it, it there's there's nothing else to say here right that the numbers speak for themselves and so they can't expect you well I should say they shouldn't expect you, but they can expect you to run at a loss, right? That's not possible. That's not sustainable, you know? So what are we gonna do here, right? So I highly recommend that, you know, even if you're not a member with us, put a budget together and then show them the numbers, right? Say, look, as part of your rate negotiation, as part of that contracting, say, when I punch in these numbers, they're not sustainable. Stephen, we have a comment from yeah. Amy Hansen. Hi, Amy. Um, she was just commenting here that during her last negotiation with Blue Cross Blue Shield, they required her to share their other commercial rates without the names of the other funders. Yeah, and that's that's fine. You you can do that. Uh, I don't think you have to do that, but yeah, you de like. And I, I should take that back. So interesting that yes. they yes. it is required. Exactly. Yeah. So you just don't want to like send your your Kaiser contract over to them, right? That's not okay. They're not allowed to see it, uh, from what I understand. So that would be like an issue for them. So yes. So and you can want to share like Kaiser's rate. Like, well, this is what Kaiser's paying. Right. Yeah. You just don't want to let them know that this is a specific funder in this specific area for these specific codes. We don't want to do that. But yeah, I, I think it's fine if they want to do that, but I would push back at them. Again, mm -hmm. if TRICARE is better, then I would say, look, I get that you want my private funder rates, uh, but I'm not gonna share those with you. I'm gonna show you what TRICARE is because this is an actual rate where I can make a reasonable profit and I can provide quality services. So while we show them the numbers, and we'll get into this, we'll get into it in a little bit more detail, but while we show them the numbers where our focus is on quality, quality of service, ethical services, quality of outcome, that has to be like our, our North Star, our guiding principles as we talk about this. And and I, I just another thing, just from experience, <laughs> try not to take this process personally, because yeah, I, I know there were times when I was pulling my hair out with this. So try to step back and say, you know what? They're doing this with everybody. I'm further than most companies are along in this process. They're at least talking to me about rate negotiation. So try not to take it personally because, you know, treating your network rep kindly, but also pushing is going, you know, there's that fine line there uh, and we need to be kind and we need to be polite, but we don't want to be pushovers. Uh, so, you know, there's a fine line there of like Those boundaries. <laughs> yes, of yelling right on the phone with them versus, you know, being forward and, and transparent and saying, 
yeah, okay. I hear that you want my other private rates, but this is my, you know, let's say you're doing TRICARE, for example, and that's 90% of your cases, for example. You know, yeah, okay, you want my other private funders. Uh, yeah, but I'm doing 90% TRICARE. These are the rates that I get, period, across the board. You may even want to say, uh, just average out your rates. So, you know, it's 90% TRICARE, and then it's, you know, 10% Cigna, uh, or sorry, 5% Cigna and 2% um, Kaiser. So, you know, averaging those out based on percentage and then just putting those rates in and giving them that, maybe that would be a good starting point to push back if I was gonna be doing it. Um, we have one more comment before yeah. we move to the next slide. Lori, uh, yes, Lori, I, I personally here in Northern Virginia have found the same thing post-pandemic. Uh, provider reps are no longer available. Um, most communication is email exclusively. Yes, yes, very much yes. We're having those those difficulties here. Um, it t it makes the process slower, and I do feel like it kind of, you know, with everything in writing, it kind of it makes things a little bit more difficult to you know to get that nuance of negotiation yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I will say one point, though, on this, you really want to have this in writing. So there were multiple times where with one funder, I was told I was going to get an, an increase and then it fell apart at the last minute. And the only leverage I had was, hey, you told me I was getting a rate increase, right? So, you know, this process can drag on for like six months, eight months, right? So having it in writing, having some evidence uh, is probably best. And I recommend that across the board, right? Like if you're dealing with concurrent billing or if you're dealing with, um, you know, uh, any any contract dispute, uh, having something in writing, even if that is just an email, highly recommend. Because we've been on the phone, right? Like there, there have been times when we were like doing authorizations on the phone, right? And then after the fact, they would say, oh, we wouldn't have said that. No, that's not right. So... Yeah, that's that's where that's where that's one positive that can come out of this because um, just not that long ago, a few years ago, it was difficult to to get an email correct from from a rep and to be able to do that follow up to get that that confirmation writing. So that that's one positive about that. But yes, it definitely kind of has you know slowed the process for sure. All right, so you can see the difference when we put in. Uh, different rates, obviously, and so we want to show our best foot, right? So you're gonna you're going to send them your best publicly posted rates, right? And then you're gonna say, look, here's yours, here's here's a publicly posted rate. You can send them the link to where you got the information, and then say, this is our this is our profitability with this rate. This is our profitability with your rate. It's unsustainable right now. We can either not go in network, or we need to immediately. Uh, terminate our contract or we go into rate negotiation. You pick, right? Um, and I, I will say that if more practices did this, that all of us would benefit. So, you know, if more of us said, we can't accept this rate, I want to help as many children, I want to help as many people as I possibly can, but I also need to pay my mortgage, so I have to make a choice here. Uh, so I feel like if more of us did this, if more of us pushed back and actually rate negotiated, similar to, to submitting our standard rates, uh, we would all be in a better place. 
So I hope that, you know, there are a lot of you listening, hundreds maybe, um, and, and I hope that, you know, this helps uh, help you all move forward. Highly recommend, you know, leaving this conversation and, and, and emailing your network reps and saying, okay, uh, I hear that there's this thing called rate negotiation. How do I start this process? So, you know, a big part of rate negotiation is showing how amazing your company is. So this is going to be a really, um, a really important part of it. So how can you show that your company is the best, right? And so there are many reasons why you want to do this anyway, right? When you're when you're trying to network and do your, your do your marketing and branding, we want to know what sets you apart, right? And so as you're advertising for new clients or even new employees, what makes you stand out? Some of the things that can help you here, uh, which all of us probably have, is large waiting lists. So, you know, if you're going to private funder and you've got 20 kids on your wait list, right? And, and you're like, look, I have 20 uh, of your, your uh, customers just waiting for services. And if my rates were a little bit better, I, I could hire more people and I could service your, your customers more, right? And if your rates were better, I could easily do this. So how about you give me a rate increase so that I can hire more staff, right? So a large wait list can really help with that. Quality of outcomes. So... This is something that we will be talking about in another podcast is quality of outcome. Uh, we're going to be talking about KPI, so key performance indicators and SBC charts and how we can get some data on our quality of outcome. So look for look look out for that at a later time, uh, but we will be discussing that. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're going to get into into that. But, you know, if you definitely need to be starting with satisfaction surveys at minimum. We want to be doing satisfaction surveys as quickly as possible. And, you know, if your satisfaction survey turns out to be not so good, at least now we have some kind of metrics and we can kind of move forward and improve our satisfaction so that when we're ready to rate negotiate, we can throw this in their face and say, look, your rates are terrible and our satisfaction is amazing and we've got 30 kids on our wait list. What are you going to do about it? And then we have, you know, other things to sell your company is maybe your staff, you have bilingual staff, uh, maybe they're highly experienced or trained staff. So uh, you can say, you know, we only hire uh, techs with a bachelor's degree or uh, all of our techs are working on their masters or we have PhD uh, directors, right? So any of this that you can sell. Uh, other things is your flexibility in uh, seeing your clients, right? So are you doing in-home? Are you doing clinic? Are you doing school facilitation? Are you doing community outings? So what sets you apart, right? Are you doing social skills groups? So what sets you apart from other providers in your area? Um, and then, like I, I mentioned, we want to be getting satisfaction surveys done. It's a requirement most funders have anyway. They typically want this at least every year, but some want it every six months. So we just want to make sure that we're getting this satisfaction survey uh, information. Uh, Stephen, we have a comment from Joseph. When you negotiate, do you negotiate by phone call or by email? 
Yeah, my experience is it's all been by email, right? Um, and and I will tell you that's been the better option for me. <laughs> a little bit about me, maybe too much information. I can get a little hot on the phone sometimes. Um, and so, um, you know, if somebody is telling me that they can't give me what I want, uh, I may react inappropriately. And so if I can get that in an email and then I, t I wait 24 hours and take a breath, right? I can respond to that a little bit better. Um, and again, right? The network rep is gonna be pushing back and saying, no, we can't do this. We can't do this much. We can't do it this quickly. Can't do it this often. That is their job, right? That is one of their purposes in life, uh, which sounds like a terrible purpose. But, you know, that that is their job. But we need them to, at minimum, be OK with speaking with us, because if they're avoiding our calls, if they're avoiding our emails, it just makes the process slower. And, and since they are kind of the last piece of it, um, they could give us a one or two percent increase or a half a percent increase. Right. It, it's really up to them. So we want to treat them kindly. And so. I prefer email, but if you're good on the phone, you can try that. But I think that was one of the comments we had earlier. Yeah. Good luck getting on the phone with a yeah. network rep. I mean, another thing too is I see a, I see a comment here from Monica. What's the best way to find out who our network rep is? And right. we'll chat with that about that in just one second. But um, I, I find that, um, and I'm more, <laughs> I'm more of a talker myself, and, and so like I do find that. The more that we get, like, once we find out who our network rep is and we get that, like, relationship with that person and we have some banter and, you know, um, sometimes that can also just kind of help out getting relationship just mm -hmm. on the personal end um, of really getting to know someone to work with them. And then sometimes it's even easier to then follow up and continue conversation and email once you have kind of a start to form a professional relationship with these people. But Stephen, what is the best way to find out who your network rep is? Yeah, and, and so again, right, this is kind of where I go back to doing your own credentialing, uh, just because I hear this quite often, right? Like, I don't even know who my network rep is. How would I find this out? But typically, when you're doing your, your own uh, credentialing, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Kaiser, Magellan, Anthem, uh, they're all like your network rep is involved in this process, right? They're going to be talking to you. They're going to be sending you emails and letters. Aetna is like extremely difficult and I'm going to try not to knock any uh, funders in here, but Aetna typically doesn't have a network rep. So we do have a process for that, but you can go to, um, I'm trying to remember for Aetna, there is a a number for that, and I think it's credentialing and authorizations. I think is what it's what it, what it's called. But you're gonna call them, and you're just gonna talk to a random tech, uh, you know, tech support person, right? And then you need to escalate so that you can talk to an actual network rep, uh, and you have to do that every time, every time. So this again can get like super slow, right? You can wait months. For this call and please have your ringer on while you're doing this right uh, because you don't want to miss that call so it does depend on the funder if you do have a provider manual or they they gave you a website to go to sometimes they'll be on there um, and then at like if this is the only recourse you have to find out who your provider uh, your network rep is call billing right um and and speak to a supervisor 
and then hopefully they'll be able to point you in the right direction of finding your network rep. But again, this is why I, I like I I think it's so important that providers do their own credentialing or at minimum when they're working with a biller, they're involved in every step of the process so they can see their contract, they, they can read their provider manual, they get their network rep, and they have all this information so that as they start processing claims, you're doing work, as things change, you have someone or you have information that can help you uh, you know, make those changes in, in your session notes or, or billing um, and stay up to date on those because they do change. And I think we only have one funder uh, that would actually mail us out changes in our, our, our provider manual. Most of them, it's just like, it's on our website. You figure it out. So um, it's really important to have those uh, those things in place so that you can, you know, at least, you know, periodically review these things so that as things change, you're kind of staying up. Because I, I think TRICARE also does that with the updated Tom. Not many funders do that. Um, uh, it's kind of a secret, right? So we want to keep up with those. Uh, Stephen, Katie's asking, what options does one have when you have started to negotiate rates but are offered less than an acceptable rate? Yeah, so I, I know how this feels because I'm, it, it's happened to us, right? And so sometimes you're just going to have to leave the network, right? So if you're not in network yet, this may be where you say, okay, we'll try out a network. Now, with out of network comes other cons so you may get a higher rate but who bears the brunt of that higher rate it's going to be your clients right they're going to have a higher out-of-pocket max they're going to have a higher deductible they, they may have higher co-pays so you may get your higher rate but what we found what we have found with our company was most people didn't want to work at a network with us unless we could get a single case agreement and that single case agreement essentially said you're going to accept our network rates so um you know it's it's that's kind of where you go with this so um so unfortunately there isn't a ton that you can do but you can accept unprofitable, unsustainable rates. This is just going to provide poor quality to the client. It's going to stress you out, right? Um, and, and it's not worth it. As again, as a group, as an entity of providers, um, if we all push back on this a little bit, um, you know, and, and just stopped accepting rates that are not sustainable, uh, that do not allow quality services, you know, then then maybe we would see these come up a little bit more. Can you counter offer? Oh, you can do whatever you want. Uh, and so like what I have done in the past, right? Um, and this this was before network reps really even understood what ABA is. So they're a little bit more savvy now, right? But like I would say, hey, look, you know what? Drop our, um, our BCBA rates um, by 20%. I'll take it and increase our tech rates by 10. Can you do that? So it looks to them like they're getting the better end of this deal. Oh, we're gonna drop this $80, $90 rate by 20% and only increase their direct service rate by, t by 10. This sounds great, but this is going to offer you a lot more on revenue. You're going to be able to increase your tech rates more because this is where you're, you're, you, know, you may have two, three hours 
of, of BCBA supervision parent training a week, and you may have 30, 35 hours of tech rates. So even doing something like that, another thing that I was able to successfully do with a funder was say, okay, fine, you're not gonna give me any better rates, but can you allow me to have a BCABA uh, uh, modifier so that they can do assessments, they can do parent training, they can do, they can be essentially the supervisor of the case, right? So this is another way that you can negotiate. So everything is on the table, right? So whatever works best for you, right? And and so uh, like at my, my thing was, I didn't really care too much. I mean, it's not that I didn't care, but like my focus was not on the BCBA rate, right? I, I, my focus was on how do I increase that direct service rate? Because that, that's really the vast majority of our hours are gonna be billed that way. So how do we increase that rate? That, that was my primary focus when I was working with these rates. So yeah, you can go back and forth, but like if you're asking for 10% and they come back at one, there's no room, right? There, there's no counter offer that is going to get you remotely close to what you're asking for. Um, and then, you know, with with some of the funders, uh, I was able to get a multi-year increase, which was wonderful. So, you know, we got a th uh, uh, um, uh, an increase every year for three years, which was great because, man, that process took eight months. <laughs> if you had to do like if you have six private funders and you're working eight months per funder, it, it's like you need someone doing this full time. It's horrible. Right. So if you can get a multi year increase, um, I, I grab it. Right. Yeah. Amy, Amy's saying here also you can make the term of the contract short one to two years. Right. So you can renegotiate sooner right. that they're right now they're waiting out a three year contract right. before they can start discussions with one of our payers. Correct. Yeah. So and again, this is every funder does this differently. Right. So again, some of them do it every six months. Some of them do it every year. Some of them do it every three years. So, yeah, you want to like anything that you think will be an advantage to you, you want to put those in. And so there may be some low hanging fruit that you can get in that contract that um, that that are maybe not increasing your rates, but it's the likelihood uh, that you could get increased rates like that BCBA, you know, the BCABA code. Can we get a modifier? Will you allow a BCABA to do that? Right. So that opens up your flexibility. Right. It may decrease uh, your salaries and, and you can still provide excellent quality services. Uh, so that may be something that you can do. All right. We have one more question yep. here and now our, our time is coming to a close, but, uh, Liz, um, Liz is asking, I have, I've started credentialing the company I hired has not been quality work. What would you suggest? I have paid some money, but refuse to pay more until I get a contract. Should I do the rest on my own? Yeah. So like, and I, I'm not trying to sell here, but I'm going to kind of sell like our one-on-one -on -one consulting. This is what we do. This is a lot of the work we do is help providers like you that have come uh, from a biller that did either they didn't do the work that they said that they would or they did it horribly and they didn't provide contracts they didn't provide their rates and so in our one-on-one -on -one consulting we show you how to credential right and so typically in our basic uh consulting which is five hours 
uh, we'll get through five to six funders. And then we set it up so that you know how to do it. So as you grow, right, as you hire new BCBAs, you never need to talk to me again, right? You know, you have the tools, you know how to do it, and then you can just move on with your life. So um, highly recommend uh, uh, doing that. All right, I think that's all for, for our comments right now. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're kind of over our time. So we're going to end it here. Uh, I really appreciate all your comments, all your questions. Hopefully this was helpful. We are going to end it here. The rest of this will be in our members only subscription. We'd love to have you as members. Um, and if again, if you need that one on one consulting uh, for for help with billing or help with credentialing or rate negotiation, we are here to help. Um, but yeah, thank you for your time today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about 3Pi Squared and the products and services that we provide, please go to www.3pisquared.com. And if you enjoy our podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe or add it to your favorites. This way you won't miss any episodes. And you can also check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn by searching 3Pi Squared. Thank you so much for listening.